Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته brothers um, welcome to another one of our um, talks Friday talks in in Ramadan I hope everyone is staying safe and keeping well uh, firstly if you hear any sort of odd noises in the background it's my son I apologize you know we're all stuck at home at the moment And if he's making any noises, uh, just uh, make dua for him, inshallah. Uh, so the, the topic today, inshallah, will be on Ramadan, a month of forgiveness. So when we hear about Ramadan, you can, if you, you know, type in a search on YouTube or you go to a circle on Ramadan, it can pretty much be on any topic, on many topics, because we always hear Ramadan is a month of, for example, Quran, Ramadan is a month of fasting. Ramadan is a month of many different virtues. And as was covered last week by the brother, uh, in terms of mercy uh, in Ramadan. And today, inshallah, the focus will be on Ramadan, um, the month of forgiveness. So I want to start by asking you guys a question. Uh, you know, feel free to to jump in or to unmute yourself, speak, and then mute yourself again. Um Normally, you know, we say don't all speak at once, you know, as a sarcastic remark. But I think it's important here that we people don't speak at once because you all start blurring each other out considering this is online. But at the same time, don't be shy. If you want to make a make a point, go for it. So the question is, um, why do we ask Allah to forgive our sins? Why do we ask him to forgive our sins? Why do we need to ask him to forgive our sins? All I see is a bunch of names in front of my screen, by the way. So I'm giving you five seconds. I'm counting down. I was on picking someone. So the question is, why do we ask Allah? Why do we need to ask Allah to forgive our sins? Can I answer? Okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. It's because we, we're not perfect ourselves as humans. We are prone to making mistakes. So whilst we do make mistakes, uh, we do ask for forgiveness. Okay, cool. Anyone else want to add to that? Uh, yeah, just quickly. Um, at the end of the day, us as Muslims, our objective is to attain Jannah. Therefore, we want to have as much good deeds as possible. And our sins, we want them to be uh, removed as we make sin on a daily basis. So we want to have more good deeds as then compared to our bad sins. Yeah, exactly. So I think ultimately, you know, uh, for all the, both the brothers that answered, Um, ultimately, the reason we want our sins to be, can, to be forgiven and we ask Allah for forgiveness is because we want to attain Jannah. And the way to attain Jannah is by on the day having your, and I mean, you know, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, having your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And naturally, as human beings, we always, we're always susceptible to sinning. And, you know, it's not something, it's not something that we can get away, of, away from. So 
the example I've, I've got in my mind is, you know, the example of why do we always need to work? Why do we need to work? Why don't we just go to work one day and then we're done from that? You know, we're done for the rest of our life. The reason is, be, is because when you work, you work to earn money and you spend money on a daily basis, whether it be for food or for, you know, other groceries or other needs that you may have, things like rent, bills, you know, um, whatever it is, you constantly need to spend. So you constantly need to work. And likewise, because as human beings, we're constantly falling into traps, whether it be, you know, major sins or minor sins or on a daily basis, our shortcomings, we constantly need to make sure we're asking Allah for forgiveness. Um, and as a hadith that highlights this very nicely, actually, uh, reported by Aisha, which um, says the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings, peace and blessings be upon him, said, follow the right course, seek nearness to Allah and give glad tidings. Verily, none of you will enter paradise by his deeds alone. And they said, i.e. the companions, they're speaking to Rasulullah and he said, well, not even you, O messenger of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ said, not even me, unless Allah grants me his mercy. And then the hadith ends with, know that the most beloved deed to Allah is that which is done regularly, even if it is small. So this highlights to us that um, when it comes to uh, entering Jannah or entering paradise, which is our ultimate goal uh, for everyone, the our good deeds alone, though sufficient, though necessary, sorry, it's not sufficient. So what do I mean by this? One of my favorite phrases, necessary but not sufficient. Um, and what does that mean? So, for example, if you're making chicken biryani, the chicken is necessary, but it's not sufficient to make chicken biryani. It's, ne- it's a necessary ingredient, but unless you have the rice and the spices and etc., 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 it's not sufficient to make it. And likewise, for us to be able to achieve our goal, our ultimate goal, our good deeds are a necessary part of that. But unless we have Allah's mercy on the day, unless he shows us his mercy and he forgives us, we won't enter paradise. However, there's no reason for us to lose hope about this. So some of you might be thinking, oh, you know, you can do all these good deeds. And, you know, we're in the month of Ramadan Alhamdulillah, at the moment. You know, you're all fasting. You've increased your good deeds. Um, but at the end of the day, it still, it still comes down to whether Allah forgives us or not. But Allah reassures us in the Quran in many places. So as an example, in Surah An-Nisa, uh, in the 110th verse, Allah says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, وَمَن يَعْمَلْ سُوءًا أَوْ يَذْلِمْ نَفْسَهُ ثُمَّ يَسْتَغْفِرِ اللَّهَ يَجِدِ اللَّهَ غَفُورًا رَحِيمٌ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, and whoever does a wrong or wrongs himself, but then seeks forgiveness from Allah, will find Allah forgiving and merciful. So he's reminding us here that the human being, that makes a mistake, that commits a sin, if he returns to Allah and he asks Allah for forgiveness, then he will find that Allah is forgiving and merciful towards him. And there's many, many ayat in the Quran where Allah mentions his mercy, his rahmah, and his love and willingness to forgive his servant that asks him for forgiveness. I've mentioned one, but there's countless ayat where Allah mentions this. Um, so now I want to uh, you know, talk about uh, how do we know that Allah wants us to seek forgiveness and loves for us to seek forgiveness from him? So there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Again, so uh, there's many narrations on this and there's many variations. So, you know, um, I'll paraphrase it. 
but this is one of the variations of the of the hadith. So Allah is more pleased with the repentance of his believing servant than a person who loses his riding beast carrying food and drink. He sleeps uh, he sleeps being disappointed of its recovery and then gets up and goes in search for that until he is stricken with thirst, then comes back to the place where he had been before and goes to sleep completely exhausted, placing his head upon his hands waiting for death. And when he gets up, locked, well, when he gets up, there's before him his riding beast and his provisions of food and drink. Allah is more pleased with the repentance of his servant than the recover of this riding beast along with the provisions. So what does that mean? How is that relevant to us? So there's, there's other narrations on this that mention that the person who, uh, for example, is uh, riding through a desert and they, you know, they're on their camel or their horse, whatever it is, and all their belongings, all their possessions, food and drink is on this as well. And then they lose it. So what is the thing that the person would, that person would love the most? What's the thing that a person would love the most? Obviously, it would be to recover this uh, beast, this animal, this camel, whatever it is, and all its possessions. Just like us right now, what would we love? So think about us right now. What would we love the most right now? What would we love the most right now? You know, for some of you, it will be different. Some people, it might be, you know, you'd love nothing more than like a glass of water right now. It's starting to get hot. You can see the sun beaming down on my face right now. Some of you would love nothing more than a glass of water right now. It's something that, you know, you, you, you cherish right now. For some of you, it might be something like a haircut. I know I need one. My hair started to tickle at the top of my ears. You know, it's, people have different things that they, that they hold dear to them and that they love. And this hadith, what is being highlighted here is that this example of this person who has lost his, let's say, camel with all his possessions. Think about yourself. You've lost everything. We've all been in that situation where we've lost something and, you know, we, we want nothing but to get that thing back or, uh, you know, we put all our hopes on it. And just when we're back to lose hope, that thing, uh, you know, think about how overjoyed we would be when we receive that thing. So what is being mentioned here is that Allah is more pleased with the repentance of his believing servant than the person who finds himself in that situation. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's a good uh, point for us to think about in terms of when we're wanting to repent to Allah, how much he loves us repenting to him and turning back to him to, uh, for forgiveness. Another point in Surah Al-Baqarah um, so last week in the circle last week, it was mentioned that there's only one place in the Quran that Ramadan is mentioned out of the whole uh, entirety of the Quran. Ramadan is mentioned in one place in the Quran, and that is in Surah Al-Baqarah. Um, and where it's mentioned, so um, in Ayah 183, I believe, someone correct me if I'm wrong later. Um, but, you know, further to that, uh, Allah adds in 186th verse, when he says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي أَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاءِ إِذَا دَعَانِ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And when my servants ask you, i.e. talking to Rasulullah, when my servants ask you, O Muhammad, concerning me, indeed I am near, I respond to the invocation of the supplicant when he calls upon me. Now I was just doing a little bit of research on this ayah, and I was just, you know, um, looking around it and you i could have actually done the whole talk today's talk on this particular ayah itself there's so many uh so many points that you can make about this ayah there's you know you could i could talk about it for the next hour but i'm aware that um if is going to be 
coming up to us soon, so I'll keep it brief and just mention a few points about this ayah in particular. So Allah starts with by saying, uh, Anyone tell me if anyone's aware why Allah said as opposed to saying for example. So maybe Arabic students or you know people that understand language, why would Allah have said and not So if you want to make a point, just unmute yourself. Uh, is go it, ahead. Uh, is it uh, when my servants ask about me instead of if my servants ask about me? Right. Okay. Good. So linguistically, yes, correct. That's correct observation. But why? Why? Why do you think that Allah said that? So just to re- uh, to um, reiterate what the brother said, he said, "What is what is there, It translates to when my servants ask about me versus Allah didn't say "What in Sa'alaka," which would mean if my servants ask. Why would he have used the word when instead of if? Open question. All right, sorry if uh, you hear anything in the background, but I guess um, uh, I guess what Allah is saying here is that you will indeed be in need of him and be asking him. And so it's not about, it's not a question of if you ask, it is definitely you will ask, but it's all about when you will ask. Yeah, so um, that's that's a good point. So the fact that, um, okay, so we've got a message as well. Um, human beings created weak and prone to sin. Therefore, he's going to ask is is the point. Yeah, so Jalher for the brothers that contributed. So yeah, that's exactly it. So Allah uses the word when my when my servant asks. And if you think about the difference between when and if, it has a huge implication because right now we find ourselves in a in a current situation where we are all locked down because of this pandemic. And what are the things that are coming out of people's mouths? When things go back to normal, I'm going to go grab that KFC. When things go back to normal, I'm going to go grab that trim. When things go back to normal and so on, I'm going to go see my family and so on and so forth. Because there's an expectation that things will go back to normal. So when you use the word when, we're implicitly accepting that things will eventually end up being normal when you say if there's uncertainty so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying and when my servants ask you oh Muhammad so he's just finished talking about Ramadan he's saying when my servants ask you and in the next bit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, he's saying indeed I am near so again the point here is is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the Prophet when my servants ask about you, naturally what would follow is Allah's response would say, would be, tell them this. But rather Allah isn't saying, tell them that I am near. He's saying, indeed I am near. So he's directly addressing us saying, when we ask about him, not if, when we definitely do ask about him, he is near. He's, in, he's informing us directly that, that he is near. And then the last part, uh, which I wanted to address about this ayah, is when uh, towards the uh, towards the end of well, this is the beginning part of the ayah. The ayah ends as well, but where he says, uh, where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Ujibu da'ida," where he's referring to the da'wata. So he's saying the I respond to the invocation of the supplicant, and the point here is is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying that he responds to the invocation of the supplicant, and the 
pertinent point, the key point about the use of the word supplicant is that it's not restricted to, uh, you know, Mufti, Mufti Saab from the mosque. When he asks, you know, because he's pious, I'm going to respond to him. He's not referring to that, you know, someone who's a half of the Quran. He's not referring to even uh, a mu'min. He's referring to, he's just saying da'wat. So he's just referring to this, um, the one who, who's calling. So the one who's supplicating. So it doesn't, that means you don't have to be of someone who is of a particular status or feel like, you know, you've maybe had some wrongdoings and you can't call upon Allah. He's referring to anyone in general. So again, this shows the fact that Allah is saying when my servants ask and it's not if because he's expecting us to ask. And it's almost like looking forward to us turning to him and asking him. And remember, this follows after the ayah is talking about Ramadan, that turning to him and he's saying to us directly that indeed he is near. So not uh, addressing us through the Rasulullah he's addressing us directly saying, indeed, I am near. And he's saying to anyone that calls upon him. So not anyone specifically as well. So uh, in terms of Ramadan itself, um, we have many narrations about the virtues of Ramadan and, you know, in terms of the topic of today of relating around forgiveness and so on. And, you know, one, obviously we're limited in time as well. So I've picked a, a hadith that I wanted to discuss with, with the brothers, with the brothers, inshallah. Um, and this hadith was narrated by Abu Hurairah, a very famous hadith. And it says, uh, um, Allah's Messenger said, وسلم, whoever observes fasts during the month of Ramadan out of sincere faith and hoping to attain Allah's reward, then all his past sins will be forgiven. So there's two points I wanted to address here. One of them being on the issue of the sincerity and one of them being on receiving the or getting the forgiveness of Allah. So the point on sincerity it's you know it's it's quite uh we often fall into this trap living in this country in terms of um you know what we're exposed to and the way we think and the way our minds have been hardwired to think in a certain way uh and one example that comes to mind is when it comes to you know the the famous hadith that a lot of people quote um and that is actions are judged by their intentions and they always say oh you don't know my intention bro um, you know, they, they justify doing wrong things because they, and they, they justify it because the person, the other person doesn't know their intention. So for example, they might say, you know, or even like, uh, imams do this in masajid, they'll justify, for example, getting a mortgage for someone because they need to, they need to shelter their family and you don't know that person's intention because they, they need to, you know, look after their family and, and so on, but then you can't get a second one because that, the intention for that will be for profit. So it's all about your intention. And what they do is they forget the first part of the hadith, which says the actions will be judged by the intentions. That means the action is what's judged. So if the action itself is not permissible, then your, the intention bit comes later. It's the action initially that is judged, of course, by your intention. So why am I talking about that? Because in relation to this hadith, whoever observes fast during the month of Ramadan out of sincere faith, and hoping to attain, to attain Allah's rewards, then all his past sins will be forgiven. As human beings, and again, affected by what we, how we think in this society, we tend to look at the beginning and the end of this hadith. Whoever observes fast, okay, good, so you're fasting, great. Then all his sins will be forgiven. All right, cool, that's me done. I'm all right, I'll just, you know, fast and all my sins will be forgiven. And we miss out the bit 
in the middle that talks about the sincerity in the fast. The sincerity is a key key ingredient in that fast. So, um, you know, for, I'll give you, I'll share a personal example with you. So what does sincerity mean? That means, sincerity means uh, different things to different people. And at the end of the day, the sincerity you have in your heart, only you and Allah know your sincerity. No one else can really judge your sincerity. Um, so a personal example for me is I remember when I was very, very young, still young, but when I was very, very young, um, one time, I, you know, my mom was praying salah and I was sitting next to her. And what I noticed was every time she would finish praying, she'd make dua and she'd cry. She'd always cry whilst making dua. So one time I asked her, uh, why do you always cry when you're making dua? And she said to me, because Allah listens to the person who's crying when he makes dua. Uh, now, that doesn't mean, you know, you just fake a cry and you make dua and, you know, all your, you know, you, you have a few tears running down your eyes and you make a dua for that Ferrari to just be outside when you walk out and it's there. That's not what she meant. What she meant was when you're crying, there's a certain level of sincerity. If it's a genuine cry where your heart aches and the tears fall from your eyes, then you have a certain level of sincerity when you make dua. And Allah will respond to those, uh, to that person who makes dua like that. So that's what sincerity means for me. Um, when you know you feel it in your heart, um, and that's what this this hadith is relating to. Um, and you know another part of the another extension to this hadith is uh, you know there's many narrations on this as well. Um, one example being uh, one time the Prophet Sallallahu was saying Amin Amin Amin. And the Sahaba asked him, why, why are you saying Ameen? And, uh, you know, he mentions that, uh, Jibreel was making dua against three people. So, you know, there's many different narrations of this. But again, uh, in this particular narration, Jibreel was making dua against three people. And one of those people being the one for whom Ramadan came and left and he was not forgiven for his sins. I.e., he's a loser because he, w- he witnessed Ramadan. Ramadan came and this was a perfect opportunity for him to have his sins forgiven, his past sins forgiven and wiped off. But he uh, he didn't achieve that and he becomes a loser. Uh, and, you know, Jibreel is making die against him saying he's a, he's a loser because he didn't attain this in the month of Ramadan. So, um, you know, we're going to hear this hadith throughout Ramadan. And normally we hear it very often when we go to the Masajid for Tarawih and so on. Um, obviously the situation is different at the moment so you know we won't come across it as much maybe but uh, just in light of the hadith in terms of thinking about the sincerity when we're offering our our fast on a daily basis to do so with a clear heart and to do to do so with a pure intention so uh, I just want to end on a few last points Um, something that really struck me when I was preparing for for the circle uh, was a hadith that really hit me actually really really hit me personally and it's so relevant to times now that is you know the more I think about it the more it's scary how relevant it is now so if you were you know biting your nails and looking around at the moment uh, for up until now now's the time to be you know listening because this is the part for me that really that really hit me and it's a famous hadith reported by Ibn Abbas uh, a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, said take advantage of five before five so he's saying, take advantage of five things before five other things. Those five things are your youth before your old age, your health before your illness, your riches before your poverty, your free time before your work, and your life before your death. SubhanAllah, how relevant this is right now is actually crazy. So 
uh, when we think about the, the, the hadith itself, the first thing, take advantage of five before five, your youth before your old age. This is something that really hit me recently. I was discussing with my wife and I was saying, you know, uh, you know, those of you that know me will know that I recently had a, had a child and we were just talking about not that we're not saying that we're old. Um, not that we're saying we're young either, but you know, when you're, when you're younger, you just have a lot more time, a lot more energy, a lot more capacity. So I'll give you an example. When I was about maybe 15, 16, um, maybe a bit younger, actually, 14, 15. Yeah, about 15, 16. I remember in Ramadan, I, uh, you know, it was PS2 back then. That was the, that was the console that everyone played. And I borrowed this game of my friend, uh, called NBA Ballers. So some of you listening are too young to know what NBA Ballers is. And some of you listening weren't certified enough at that time to even know what NBA Ballers was, but it's basically a basketball game. And, I remember I borrowed the game of my friend and it was in Ramadan. So I'm thinking, yeah, perfect. That's it. That's my fast made easy. I'm just going to bang out NBA ballers. And I literally used to play this game up until iftar. And as soon as I could hear, you know, sunrise radio, the Adan and so on going off, then I'd quickly pause it, run to the table and have my iftar. Um, but why am I telling you this? Because now when I look back at it, I think to myself, you know what? When I was younger, I had so much time on my hands. I didn't have any responsibility. I didn't have any children. Um, I didn't have any bills to pay. I didn't have work and so on. And I wasted that time. So now that I'm 26, I need to think to myself, what's it going to be like later on when I'm a bit older and make use of my time now whilst I'm still considered, uh, you know, whilst I'm still, whilst I still, whilst I still have my youth uh, to take advantage of. Next part is your health before your illness. Again, subhanAllah, in terms of the current situation we find ourselves in with this pandemic and the coronavirus, how many people do you know that at the moment, or you know, you've heard of on the news and so on, Muslims who at the moment their Ramadan are being affected because they because of their poor health, because maybe they're suffering from this illness and maybe even other illnesses, and therefore they're not able to fast or they're you know they're stuck on life support on um on ventilating machines and so on. And imagine they could go back and take advantage of their health before they became ill. Uh, so it's just something that, you know, is really hitting me right now to, uh, and something that I, I think is, is beneficial for all of us to ponder on. Um, the next part is your riches before your poverty. Again, you know, you talk about people at the moment who are suffering financially because they have lost their jobs or maybe their businesses have collapsed and so on. And, you know, they, they now find themselves in a worse financial situation than maybe they were before. Um, so, you know, imagine if they could, this hadith, you know, speaking directly to people that you should take your advantage of your riches before your poverty. And, you know, this, this pandemic situation at the moment is a reminder for us that something can happen at any moment. You know, we don't have control over things. You know, sometimes we think we're, you know, we go through life and, you know, we're invincible and, you know, you're sorted because you've got a certain amount of, you know, security or a job or whatever. Just like that, the whole world is, you know, has flipped upside down. So if Allah can flip the whole world upside down, it's not difficult for your life to be flipped upside down. So make use of these things before, before you know, you, you lose them or you don't have them anymore. And just on this point in terms of your riches before your poverty, I think, um, you know, the the easy thing is to spending charity right you know give money for charity and you know this is a very rewardable 
and very recommended action in Islam, particularly in the month of Ramadan, where you know it's the the rewards for it is highly increased. Um, but maybe think a little bit outside the box how you can spend your riches or how you can spend your wealth. So uh, two points. The first one is the wealth that you're giving away right now. If I was to give away seventy five pounds to a cause, it's very easy for me to do that. Why? Because I get my haircut every two weeks. And I pay £25 for my haircut, and it's almost six weeks I haven't had a haircut, so that's £75 I've saved. So if I give it away, I haven't really lost, you know, I don't really feel like I've, I've gone out of my way to give that, that for charity. So, you know, in terms of when you give an amount, give an amount that, you know, uh, that you, you have a genuine intention that you can make an impact for this for charity. And the other thing I wanted to address is in terms of when you, how you can spend your riches. So it's not just... In, in terms of charity, think about yourself. How how many of you here, including myself, have spent three thousand or nine thousand pound on university fees for one year to go and study? You know how why x and y is equal to five and seven in this equation. If you do maths, obviously, uh, if you do any other subject, it doesn't matter because uh, it's all about maths. But how many of you have spent money on these kinds of courses or on you know on an MBA or an MBE or NBA or PFA? Of the, I don't know what, all these words and all these phrases how many of us have spent in that cause but we never think about spending on you know islamic causes like you know maybe improving our tajweed or improving our arabic and giving up the time and you know enrolling on these courses and as you can see today you know we're all quarantined we're locked down but alhamdulillah you've all attended this this circle this gathering online because there's a capacity for it online today so you know we can spend in in that way as well um the last two parts of the hadith take advantage of your free time before your work. You know, perfect. We're actually, this is, it's like it's addressing us right now. Our free time before our work, we're all going to go back to work eventually, inshallah, you know, in a few months, um, maybe longer, maybe less. But we're, for the majority of us, unless you're a key worker, you've got free time before your work right now. So take advantage of that. You know, not only have we got free time right now, the free time has come in Ramadan. So it's like, you know, if you ever played Super Mario or, you know, any game, imagine you're playing a game and, uh, you know, you collect that, that item that gives you that sort of rainbow or invincibility thing. That's that us right now. We've got, we got free time, one. Secondly, it's Ramadan. So we can capitalize on this even more uh, in terms of increasing our good deeds, asking Allah for forgiveness and so on and so forth. Um, and the last one, your life before your death. Again, you know, there's been so many cases on, on the news of Muslim doctors, bus drivers, and so on, who have died recently in the past few weeks. And imagine how close they were to Ramadan. They were so close to witnessing another Ramadan. But they, uh, they, you know, they, they've just missed out. They've just missed out. They just, they just, you know, through this virus or through an illness or something, they've just passed away. So imagine, you know, once that's, that's the end of it. Your life for your death. Once your di- once death has touched you, that's it. It's done. You're finished. So take advantage of your life before your death. Whilst we're still alive, you know, take advantage of that time. And again, you know, in the month of Ramadan, it's a time for us to to increase in in every way. Um, you know, in a way, uh, we always talk about. You know, if you if you listen to uh, you know the circles and you know you've been following our circles for a long time, you know, we often talk about activity. And, you know, what you can do in terms of being more active. And whilst that's still true, you know, it's still something we advocate 
from an Islamic perspective, when you read the Sirah, etc., um, the stories of all the prophets, they were always active in spreading the message. Um, and, you know, in, even in Ramadan, normally we're very active in terms of we look forward to Taraweeh, we look forward to having iftar of our families, we look forward to all these things. Right now, one way of looking at it is we've been deprived of this. We're locked down, we're stuck at home. But another way of looking at it is actually we've been given the opportunity to make the most of it because we're stuck at home. So let's make the most of this time where we can spend a lot of time on personal reflection, on, you know, reading Quran and spending time with our, you know, immediate families in the household, um, you know, asking a lot of forgiveness. Um, it's like a force it take off almost where you're in the house, you're stuck for 30 days and, you know, don't basically don't waste the time. Um, you know, the example I was, I was going to give earlier, um, I was just talking to my wife uh, the other day and I was saying, you know, we used to think we were so busy until we had, uh, you know, my son and, so many people used to tell me before, you know, when you have children, your life changes and, you know, your, your time is, it just goes. And you just think to yourself, I, used to, I think to myself back then, I used to think I was so busy. We were so busy all the time. Right now, we're thinking if we didn't have my son, you know, Alhamdulillah, keeps, he keeps us busy. Um, but if we didn't have any children, we'd have so much free time. So what I don't want to be personally is in a situation where, inshallah, you know, when I have two, three, maybe four children, you know, if if I'm granted that, how much more busy will I be then compared to now? So try and make use of, I'm going to try and make use of the free time that I've got now so that later on when I've got two or three children, inshallah, I don't look back and say, oh, I used to have so much free time when I've got one one kid. So inshallah, I want to end it there. I want to leave you one one last hadith. Um, and this is a point for for all of us to remember and to think about because when it comes to forgiveness, this is a, this is a you know, a trait, uh, you know, a uh, one of the qualities and attributes of Allah. You know, Allah's some of His names are Al Ghafar, Al Ghafur, the Great Forgiver, Al Tawab, the Ever Acceptor of Repentance, Al Afu. You know, the one who gives wide forgiveness and so on. And it's an attribute that we can't attribute to human beings because none of Allah's attributes we can attribute to human beings. But when it comes to forgiveness, a human being, you might do something wrong to a human being, you might hurt someone. And you want so badly for them to forgive you. And maybe they can't forgive you. Maybe they can't have it in them to forgive you for whatever it is. And maybe it's not their fault they can't forgive you. But this hadith highlights uh, how we're not comparable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any way. And even when it comes to seeking repentance and asking for forgiveness. So from uh, reported, uh, recorded in Al-Tirmidhi, as uh, from Anas radiallahu anhu, um, he said, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, Allah the Almighty has said, O son of Adam, that's you and me, so long as you call upon me and hope in me, I shall forgive you for what you have done, and I shall not mind. O son of Adam, that's you and me, were your sins to reach the clouds in the sky, and were you then to ask forgiveness of me, I shall forgive you. O son of Adam, that's you and me, were you to come to me with an earth full of sins, and were you then to face me, without having associated anything with me, i.e. if you come to me with an earth full of sins, but you haven't associated anything with me, I created partners of Allah, which is the worst sin. And Allah, uh, in this hadith, it says, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I shall grant you an earth full of pardon.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.